my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution, of course, each and every week, talking about how the world changes. The world's always changing, but what's important to understand is that it's not going back to the way it was before. The world is changing, and so you have to look at history, the long lens of history, to understand where we're coming from and where we're going. And that's what we're talking about each and every week, and of course, we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and the technology being Bitcoin and the decentralized technology that is changing the world. And I like to bring to you, you know, some educational pieces to help you kind of understand what's going on a little bit different than what people are shoving down your throat. Um, and we look at the politics, the finance and the technology. And I want to talk about the technology piece today, something I've been talking about this last week, uh, some things that a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of times when you hear about Bitcoin um, specifically or cryptocurrency, you know, from a U.S. centric viewpoint, uh, people will like to argue that without really taking into account what's happening in the world. And so a very U.S.-centric viewpoint, I, I listened to um, a conversation with um, someone that I like, someone that I, I kind of respect their viewpoint, Michael Schellenberger. He's, he's done a really good job talking about climate and stuff, and I agree with him on that. And I listened to him talk uh, with another one of my buddies, uh, Pomp, Anthony Pompliano. It was a pretty painful conversation. And Schellenberger is basically saying, we don't need this. The United States doesn't need this. This is stupid. We shouldn't have this. The U.S. government should protect their U.S. dollar, this and that, blah, 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 blah. And uh, 
all I could just think about the whole time is like, what a selfish US-centric viewpoint to have. So in the United States or Canada or in the Western developed world, we're sitting there at the, at the bar having a $20 cocktail and your money works pretty decent. Maybe you don't know why you need an alternative like a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or something like that. If you're one of the other 3 billion people that live in, in a country where that has massively high inflation, double or tri triple digit inflation, or an authoritarian regime that will steal all your money from you, you don't have to wonder why you need something like Bitcoin. You don't have to wonder. You already know. So for example, in Nigeria, their currency is horrible. It loses value so fast. You can't, you can't hold it. You have to buy stuff all the time because it's just losing value so fast. And so in Nigeria, um, they've moved over to Bitcoin and they've been using Bitcoin for a while. Now the Nigerian government they said, oh, well, people want digital money. That's what they want. So let's come up with a CBDC. And they did. And they came up with their own CBDC called the E-Nayara. Now, um, the government's like, hey, people, um, you wanted digital money. I, we know that because you're using Bitcoin. And so here, we're going to give you digital money. Here's your CBDC, the E-Nayara. But nobody wants it. Nobody uses it. And so what all governments do, first they apply the carrot, and then they apply the stick. So the carrot was like, hey, guys, if you use this E-Nayara, we'll give you discounts on your taxi cabs and things like that. But the people were like, why would we use that? Because it's the exact same problem. It's still losing value. I can't use it that something that's going down in value so fast. So no, we're not gonna use it. We already have Bitcoin. The ENIRA is no different. It solves no problem the regular ENIRA does. And um, so now the stick comes out and now the Nigerian government has restricted, I believe, all cash transactions or, or sorry, withdrawals of more than $25 a day. So if you want money, you can only take it in CBDC. You can only get $25 a day of, of cash otherwise. And so the Nigerians don't need to understand why they need something like Bitcoin. They already get it. If you're in South Korea where the government comes and searches your house regularly and steals any money you have, you get it. If you're a woman living in Afghanistan um, and someone's trying to send you money to help because the women are being so persecuted there in Afghanistan, but you can't get money sent to you because the Taliban steals it from you, you don't have to ask why something like Bitcoin is important. You already get it. And so um, these viewpoints of why do we need something like a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is a very, very US-centric viewpoint. And you have to look at the rest of the world. And so I want to give you some more viewpoints. And so um, I saw this week a, a news headline that kind of made me think about this. And it's that Strike, a company called Strike, has expanded the Lightning Network powered remittances to the Philippines. So uh, what does that mean? Well, again, if you're an American or Canadian or European, you maybe don't understand this. But if you live in any of the other parts of the world, typically you send family to a Western developed world. So all over Mexico, Central America, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Venezuela, you know, Philippines, et cetera, you send people to, to the U.S. To, to work. And then those people, the, fa the family send you money back. That's called remittances. Now, if I want to send money to somebody um, overseas, there's not a lot of easy ways to do that. I mean, obviously I can do a wire transfer, but what if I want to send them 75 bucks, 60 bucks or whatever? So I would have to go to my bank, stand in line, I'd drive there, take me whatever, 10 minutes drive to the bank, Another 10, 15 minutes stand in line. I pull cash. I have to drive over to the you know Walmart or the bank. Another 10, 15 minutes stand in line, fill out the Western Union forms and give them the money. So that takes me whatever, an hour. 
Then in uh, El Salvador or the Philippines or wherever, they live in this little town. They got to get on a bus, ride a bus for a couple hours and get to the city to get the cash. And they have to ride the bus back with their cash. And hopefully they don't get robbed or mugged or something like that. So it takes a day for them and puts massive risk. It's a big problem. And now with Bitcoin, I could send them money right now instantly and for free. Like literally from my bed in my pajamas, I can click a button and they'll have it within a fraction of a second on their phone. They don't have to get on a bus. There's no risk. And they can do it for free. Now, why for free? Why does that matter? Well, El Salvador, about 30% of their GDP comes from remittances. And the average fee for the remittance is about 30% because it's like a flat fee. So it's like 20 bucks to send on Western Union. But if, only, if, I'm only spending, if I'm only sending 50 bucks, it's a big percentage. In the Philippines, is, the Philippines is one of the world's largest remittance markets. $35 billion, $35 billion is being sent back as remittances in that old clunky pain in the butt way, very expensive way I've just talked about. All right. Because it's using these very old technology, very clunky rails. And Strike is a company that builds on the Bitcoin Lightning Network. And they've fixed this. They've created a new rail, a new way to do this. And basically what they can do I can just instantly send dollars. It uses the Bitcoin Lightning Network to send it to the Philippines. And then instantly on the other end, they can convert it into any currency they want. So the Philippines is now working to do this um, using Strike. And so instead of using the Western unions and all those things, they just do it over the Bitcoin network. And, and again, they don't have to use Bitcoin. What they're using is the Bitcoin network, the rail system. So typically to send money, you'd have to do it through the SWIFT system. That's how money gets sent through SWIFT. This sends it across not SWIFT, but instead the Bitcoin network. All right. That's how it's doing cross-border. Now, typically, like I said, it's not cheap or fast to do it cross-border, but using Bitcoin Lightning, you can do this. And this Lightning network has been growing massively. As a matter of fact, there's over 16,000 nodes, 76,000 channels, and about $122 million of liquidity locked up inside this right now. And the Strike app, you can download the Strike app, and you can convert your dollars into Bitcoin and then sends across the Lightning Network. And then in the recipient's country, it delivers it to them in whatever they want. So in the Philippines, they use a company called Pooch.ph and it converts that Bitcoin into local fiat currency and then forwards the money to the recipient's bank or mobile account. So the important piece to understand is that you don't have to understand that it uses the Bitcoin Network. You don't have to know that. Just like you don't know how my voice is coming across your speakers right now. You don't have to know how it works. And that's the beauty of this. And so this is how it's working. Now people in the Philippines or Nigeria or Kenya or El Salvador can receive money instantly and for free in whatever currency they want, in the dollar, in the peso, and they don't have to know that it's going over the Bitcoin network. They don't have to know that it's a new payment rail. And so this is changing lives. It's saving lots of money. $35 billion that's being spent and a large part of that is being taken up by fees. And so Bitcoin is saving that. Bitcoin is fixing that. Bitcoin is not old and slow and clunky. It's the fastest and cheapest way to send value across the world instantly. And the Philippines and, and, and lots of other countries are now benefiting from that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm running through some of the biggest headlines of the week as we document and discuss how the world is changing through the decentralized revolution. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Now, there's lots of other big headlines that happened this week that I want to talk about that you need to know about if you want to stay informed and if you want to see how the world is changing and where we're going. So I got a lot more to cover when I come back. You don't want to miss it. Don't go away. I'm going to be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that we talk about each and every week. As the world is decentralizing, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and we're talking about some of the biggest breaking news headlines. One thing I saw this week that kind of caught my eye that was kind of interesting is um, from the Washington Post, the WAPO. Their slogan is that democracy dies in darkness, which is sort of rich. Um, they're killing the democracy by lying to us and uh, suppressing the truth. I talked about earlier uh, in a previous segment, if you missed it, you can catch me on the podcast. Um, just search Mark Moss, the Mark Moss show on your favorite podcast player. Or you can always watch these and listen to me on my YouTube channel called Market Disruptors. Check that out as well. I talked about how they're using disinformation and, and they're always doing the opposite of what they say. So the WAPO, Washington Post, is saying that democracy dies in darkness, but they're the ones creating darkness. Interesting. But anyway, I don't want to go into that tangent. But they put out this article that I thought was pretty interesting. They're talking about the doomsday clock. You ever heard of that? 
The doomsday clock hits 90 seconds to midnight. It's most dire prediction ever, they say. 90 seconds away from midnight, whatever that means. But this is according to the, the doomsday clock. Um, and basically what it is, is it's a it's like a symbolic hour that kind of counts down this apocalypse. And the people who run the clock are mostly saying that it's because of what's happening in the Russia war with Ukraine, which uh, I would agree. In the Russia war with Ukraine, the danger is because of the potential use of nuclear weapons. And this is a big problem and it's something that I'm, I'm concerned about. And I'm somebody who grew up under the Cold War. Um, you know, as I was a kid, we still had the, the Cold War with Russia, you know, the East and West Berlin Wall. Maybe I was too young to realize, but I don't remember then, uh, you know, maybe in the early days after World War II, but I don't remember then there ever really being a threat of nuclear war. We, we were never close to war, but here we are in war. Make no mistake, the United States is at war with Russia, period. Now, it's happening in Ukraine. That's where the battleground is, and it's mostly Ukrainian forces, but the U.S. is giving all the weapons and the money. And the U.S. isn't just giving the weapons. The weapon systems that were given the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians don't know how to use. Our systems are so advanced, they, some of these take 60, 80 people just to run the weapon. Ukrainians haven't been trained on that. So make no mistake, the U.S. is there. And, and of course, Russia knows this. You may not agree, but Russia does. And they said, hey, we see that you're at war with us. And what are the whole point of nuclear weapons? So you don't lose. And ultimately, they're supposed to be a deterrence. Like, hey, don't mess with me. I won't mess with you. We both have we both have nuclear weapons. It's like uh, the Mexican standoff, right, where you see like two guys pointing guns at each other. Like, neither one wants to fire because it's mutually assured destruction. We're both going to die. We both have guns pointed at each other. So let's just decide to not kill each other, right? And that's where that's that's why nuclear weapons actually brought peace because of that. We know that hey, we're not going to bomb you, and you're not going to bomb us. Otherwise, we all die. Sounds pretty reasonable, except for now, we seem to have forgotten that. And the U.S. is now pushing to the point, you know, Russia drew this red line. Hey, don't cross this line and, and, and we'll be OK. And then, and then we did. And now they're saying don't cross this line. And we did. And now they said don't give them weapons or we recognize that you're in the war with us. And then we did. And we're pushing nuclear war. And that's why this this uh, doomsday clock is saying that um, we're potentially going into this. Now, um, this clock's movement is, is heading towards catastrophe. That's what it's saying. Um, the time had been set at 100 seconds away from midnight since 2020, but this bulletin of atomic scientists that use this clock are now saying that we are getting very close to this. And I want to just, I just, I, I want to point out the obvious here. All right, Joe Biden, the Biden administration, and the neocons that run the government are the ones pushing this. They are literally putting everybody in the world's lives in danger. Your life is in danger. My life is in danger. My kids' lives are in danger. People in Mexico, people in parts of Europe, people in Central America, people in China even, their lives are at danger because if a nuclear war goes off, it affects everybody. And the point that I want to make out is that Joe Biden, the Biden administration, the neocons, whatever you want to call them, they, a small group of people, are deciding to put the entire world's lives at risk over what? over who controls Crimea? Do you even know where Crimea is? Why do you care who controls Crimea? Why do you want to put your kids, your grandkids, your future generations that aren't even born yet, why do you want to put their lives at risk? Who are they? 
Who are they to have the authority to put my life at risk? Over what? Over Crimea? I mean, come on. The insanity of this. And this is what this doomsday clock is saying, because they realize that we are getting closer and closer and closer to this atomic war. Now, why did the doomsday clock move closer to midnight? Well, because what we're conveying with the clock move is, what this is, quote, what we're conveying with the clock move is things are not going in the right direction and they haven't been going in the right direction. So we're always thinking about um, directionality, right? And so um, we are headed for disaster. And the rhetoric that's continuing to, to grow is continuing to only antagonize and continue to escalate. And the way escalation works is that it only ends either one, when both sides agree to end it, or two, so, so peaceably, or two, ultimately, uh, the final move is made. So I say something mean to you, you, you push me, you threaten me. I push you, you, you punch me. I get a knife, you get a gun, right? That's how escalation works. Until maybe somebody steps in with a cool head and says, hang on, hang on, hang on, guys. Do you really mean this? Can we talk it out sort of a thing? And we see that you know, uh, the Russia and Ukraine have tried to um, have peace many times. The U.S. doesn't want peace. The neocons want war. And for what? For who controls Crimea? Of course not. So you have to ask yourself this. Ask yourself this. One, like I said, the insanity, the absurdity that these group of people have the right to put our lives in danger. Over what? Over, over what? So again, it's not about Crimea. What is it about? Well, they might, they're, they're going to tell you, well, because Russia won't stop with Crimea. Russia won't stop with Ukraine. If we don't stop them in Ukraine, they're going to take over the whole world. Really? If they try to come onto U.S. soil, I think we can defend that pretty well. I think we can defend that pretty well. So what is it really about? And that's the question that you have to ask yourself. The battle is over globalism. And the World Economic Forum, they met last week and they talked about the biggest threat we have is this deglobalization and what can they do to stop this? And um, stopping Russia is the path to stopping deglobalization. That's what they want. But they can't stop it. It's happening and we're talking about it each and every week. Now, of course, I hope and I pray that this de-escalates. I hope and I pray that they walk this back, that they find peace, because I don't want my life in jeopardy. I don't want your kids' lives in jeopardy. And hopefully cooler heads will prevail. Hopefully you will take this information and go discuss it with your friends and your family and your coworkers. And hopefully we can get the conscious discussion to pick up enough where they can hear this and think about how absurd this is and whatever motives that they have, however wrong or skewed they are, they can figure out that, look, this is not what the people want. Our motives are wrong. We don't have the right to put everybody's lives in jeopardy. Now, fix the money, fix the world. If they didn't have a money printer, we would never be in this situation in the first place, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> if you're just doing it and you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, we're talking about the decentralized revolution, and we're talking about how uh, globalism is ending, and that's what this war is all about. I got a whole lot more news stories to cover when I come back in a minute, so don't go away. I'm going to be right back. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about, of course, each and every week, the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is changing because it is changing fast. And I'm bringing to you some of the latest breaking news headlines that I've seen this week that kind of illustrate where this is going and more importantly, kind of help us navigate this and position ourselves better for the future. You know, one of the big things that was been going on over the last couple of weeks, and I've seen really escalate this this week, was um, the talks in the United States about the debt limit, the debt ceiling. And, you know, I mean, it's the stupidest argument, stupidest conversation. It just continues to come back over and over and over again. The government pretends like we've hit the debt limit. And uh, we have to raise the debt limit if we want to continue to fund the government. And then you get this rhetoric from Biden comes out and says that uh, the government's going to shut down. The government will default on the debt if we don't raise the debt ceiling. That's what they say. Obviously, we've kind of got this uh, a little bit of a of a Republican majority there in, in the Senate, and they kind of control the purse strings. And so there was a conference I watched some of, and it was with uh, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and, and a couple other people um, from the GOP. And they are basically saying, look, this is like the stupidest rhetoric because the government will not default on its debt. This is not going to happen. Um, the government has more than enough tax revenue to pay for the interest on the debt. So there's there's just there's no way that there's a default unless they decide to take the money they have, which is more than enough to cover the interest and not pay it and instead spend it somewhere else. So that would be like, for example, 
your house payment is uh, $1,000 a month and you make $2,000 a month. So you make more than enough to pay for your house payment, but you could decide not to pay your house payment and you could decide to go on a vacation and uh, do all these other things, buy clothes and buy fancy dinners and not pay it. And then you could default. And that's basically the, the, the situation the US government's in. We have enough revenue to pay the interest. That's what Rand Paul and, and Ted Cruz are saying. There's no, to even mention the word default is just ludicrous unless you decide to not pay it. And that's why this rhetoric of the Biden administration is so dangerous and scary. However, this is where we're at. And so we always talk about this debt ceiling. Basically what it comes down to is we don't have enough money to buy whatever we want and pay for what we have to pay for. Just like if you have to pay for your house payment, you can't just go on a super exclusive expensive trip to Fiji if you got to make your house payment and you don't have enough money. And so that's kind of where we're at. One of the things that I've seen them talking about this week specifically was what's happening with entitlements. And so we have things that have to be paid. Um, and then we have things that we want to pay. So what are the things that we want to pay? Well, that's these hundreds of billions of dollars they spend on stupid policies like giving money to Afghanistan so they could study transgenderism, for example. We don't need to spend that money. That's not needed. But some things we do have to spend, for example, Social Security and Medicaid. We are supposed to pay that. And so there's been this talk of Social Security on the brink of collapse um, and potentially having reform with that in order to avoid this debt ceiling um, debate. And so that is what I want to talk about. Um, I saw this article talking about this specifically and how that Social Security is on the brink of collapse. Now, this shouldn't surprise you. We've been talking about Social Security running out of money and collapsing um, at least since 2000 that I'm aware of. Um, at least for the last 20 plus years, we've been talking about it. So it shouldn't catch you as a surprise. But the problem is that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. And I mean that literally. So what most people think is that they have an account with Social Security that you've paid into your whole career and you deserve to get that money back out. But that's not how Social Security works. Social Security is literally a Ponzi scheme. What that means is the money you're paying in today is for somebody else to withdraw today. The money they paid into earlier in their career was for the people that had retired before them. And Ponzi schemes work as long as you continually get more and more people in on the scheme. But when they get less people in than they have to pay out, the Ponzi scheme falls apart, asked Bernie Madoff. And that's exactly the problem that we're in. In 1950, there were 16 workers for every one person pulling money out. Perfect. That's a great Ponzi scheme. But in 2035, that ratio goes to only two workers per retiree. Mm, that's the problem with a Ponzi. We went from 16 to one to two to one. And that's a problem, but it gets even worse than that. There's lots of reasons. I'm not going to dig into a whole lot of it, but other reasons like, for example, people live a lot longer. When they started Social Security, I think the average life expectancy, I didn't look it up, but I think it was, you know, 65 years, something like that. And today it's like 80. So not only do we have less people paying, but now we have to pay them for a lot longer time. And it's way more expensive, not just because of inflation, but because of Medicare and things like that. And so how do we deal with that? Now, I'm not meaning to scare you, but I want you to know what's potentially coming down the pipe. And while, you know, there's these uh, negotiating the debt is mandatory, we have to do it. Um, you have to be aware that, unfortunately, renegotiating some of these things, it's going to have to happen. I'll just be blunt here. If you're depending on Social Security to live, you need to find another option. Let me just tell you that. You're going to need to find another option. Social Security is not going to save you, depending on how old you are. There, 
you're either going to get much less money than you hope or expect, or you're going to get none at all. Now, for Social Security alone, let's let's take out Social Security for Medicare. For Social Security alone, when the trust fund dries out, what happens? Well, they would have to raise payroll taxes. Payroll taxes are what pays into Social Security. They would probably have to increase those taxes by 25% right off the bat. Well, what is what? Okay. Then what happens, right? So we can kind of keep going. Okay. So they run out of payroll. They run out of social security. So then they have to pay raise payroll taxes by 25%. Well, then what happens? Well, a lot of businesses can't afford that. So they got a business. Well, then what happens? Well, then the economy suffers. The unemployment rate rises. Well, then what happens? Well, then other businesses start to suffer because there's not enough customers. And then what happens? Well, then the country goes into a great depression. And then what happens, right? Like, think about that. Now, for the business that don't go out of business, what do they do? Well, they raise their prices to offset that. So then what happens? Well, then we have to pay way more money for all the goods and services that we're used to paying. Well, then what happens? Well, then we have to give up on other things. Well, then what happens? Well, the quality of our life declines. All right, so at a minimum, that's what's going to happen. Now, like I said, we've been talking about raising the debt ceiling since at least 2000. Um, and experts were warning that Social Security would run out by um, 2037. And it's, it's going to be painful. Like I said, at a minimum, they're going to have to cut benefits. Um, at a maximum, they're going to have to raise taxes or, or probably some combination of that. But today, it's gotten worse. Like this is accelerating. And now they're expecting to run out of funds uh, by 2035. So that's, uh, you know, 12 years. So I'm not expected to even get them for 12 years. So you know, by the time I'm expected to get them, there probably won't be anything left. But you need to know when this is going to hit. So by 2035, there's this ticking time bomb. And like I said, a lots of perfect storms have, have happened. Uh, longer life expectancies is obviously a big one, but the big one is because it's a Ponzi scheme. The ratio is below three to one when it used to be 16 to one when they first calculated this. And then you just continue to add on to it. So like, for example, basically every politician comes into power by, by, by basically buying votes, right? They do that by expanding benefits. No one will ever be elected by saying they're going to take away a bunch of benefits. So each one has to give more than the one before them. And all this continues to do is to escalate this until we actually have a big crisis on their hands. And I get it. Like the main argument that I hear is that it's not fair. Retirees deserve fair, 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 equity, equity, equity. They, they deserve fair treatment. And I agree. But the, but the problem is the facts and the law are not on that side. As a matter of fact, the Supreme Court ruled in 1960 that workers do not have a legally binding right to Social Security benefits. So... Just know that there's a big risk. And if you're planning on Social Security to save you, you better make another plan. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week as we navigate the decentralized revolution, as we navigate this world changing, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And of course, technology is what changes the world, but this is more about politics and finance. The politicians are making rules and more, more importantly, making promises that they can't keep because the economics, the finances don't keep up with it. And it's going to create massive change socially, politically, and of course we have technologically. Um, I have more news headlines to talk about when I come back. You don't want to miss this. You want to be well-informed because if you're not well-informed, you're going to fall behind. So I'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. I'll be right back. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. 
But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, navigating uh, the world changing as it goes from centralization to decentralization. And, you know, I want to talk about this transition. And what happens is, uh, sort of like the law of physics, is uh, each force is uh, equal and opposite reaction, Right. And so what happens is that I talked about this a, a few weeks ago, as things continue to degrade, as unfortunately we get uh, more and more corruption inside politics and government, the more people are outraged by it, which of course they should be. And the more they start to speak out, the more disgruntled they become, the more protests happen, things like that. And the government then has to squeeze even harder or restrict even harder to try to hang on to any power. But then the more that they squeeze to hang on to power, the more upset and disgruntled people get and the more they speak out. And then the more the politicians, the governments have to squeeze. And it's just like this uh, constant um, escalation, squeeze more, push back more. So then squeeze more, so then push back more and squeeze more, push back more. And that's exactly what's happening. And, And this is the volatility at the top before this blows off. I saw this week, European official warns Elon Musk that the era of Wild West for free speech is over. There will be sanctions, quote. That's a threat. So what is this European official saying and who are they? Well, the Wild West for free speech is over. So 
break that down. So free speech is over because they are so corrupt. They are pushing things we don't want and they cannot allow us to communicate that, that we don't like that, that we don't want that. There's a better way. They can't handle that. They do not want free speech. This is her quote. The free speech era is over. That's the quote. Let's break this down. Europe is pushing now new legislation that will force online platforms like Twitter to remove disinformation. Okay. So remember, I've been talking about disinformation is the single largest uh, issue, supposedly, per the World Economic Forum. It's the single biggest issue that we have. Now, I broke down in a previous segment. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast. Just search the Mark Ma Show. The previous segment, I was talking about how all the disinformation is actually coming from the mainstream media and from the inner workings of the government. Ron Paul wrote a piece this week, said that the real disinformation was the Russia disinformation hoax, which came from something called Hamilton 68, which Twitter has now exposed was a completely fraudulent operation set up to feed misinformation and disinformation. It all came from them to purposely create distrust. So they're the ones pushing the disinformation. But supposedly now um, this this uh, lawmaker saying that now Europe's passing law legislation to force online platforms to remove disinformation. Well, that would be great because then Twitter would have removed all the disinformation that the FBI and CNN put out. But that's not what they want. So European politician Vera Jourova warned Elon Musk from the World Economic Forum in Davos that Twitter, not Facebook, not YouTube, because they, they play ball, but Twitter will face sanctions if it doesn't shut down some forms of speech. It can't have free speech. Free speech is too dangerous. We can't allow you to say things that are against our narrative because we have to control and indoctrinate you. That's what they say. Jarova said, quote, so after Mr. Musk took over Twitter with his freedom of speech absolutism, we are the protectors of freedom of speech as well. But at the same time, we cannot accept, for instance, illegal content online and so on. So our message was clear. We have rules and there will be sanctions. So what does this even mean? Where is the line? So they have to shut down some forms of speech. What forms of speech? Who's to say what gets to be said? Who's to say what misinformation is? What is misinformation? All the so so-called uh, conspiracy theories that were being peddled, you know, in 2020, 2021, all have basically been proven to be true. And all the misinformation, as I said, I broke this whole down. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to go through all that, but if you're having doubts, um, either one, just Google again. Always verify me. Always verify me. Google Hamilton 68, um, and this was the big report that just came out from Twitter, where they showed all the facts, all the smoking guns of how. The FBI, the intelligence community, CNBC, uh, Washington Post, et cetera, used this fake fraudulent source to push this Russia collusion narrative, and it was all made up. And this is the facts, okay? These are the names. These are the people. These are the quotes. Hamilton 68, I talked about it in a previous segment. I'm not going to repeat all that again, but they're the ones pushing it. So who's going to tell us what disinformation is? Well, well, they are, right? The ones that are pushing it. Yacinda Hardeen uh, was the prime minister of New Zealand. You might remember her saying... Um, we are the source of truth. Don't listen to anybody but, but us. We will be the source of truth. Then she went on to the UN to um, ask the UN to rally the UN to put, um, to put restrictions on freedom of speech. If you remember during the COVID era, uh, you had uh, CNN saying, do not do your own research. Don't do it. 
Just trust what we have to say. We are the arbiters of truth. Now, there was a book written called Fahrenheit 451. I'd highly recommend you read it. If you don't want to read the book, watch the movie. I think the actor's name is Michael Jordan. He played like Apollo Creed in the new remake. Uh, great movie, uh, Fahrenheit 451. So at least watch the movie. It's very, very good movie, very entertaining. But basically, the, the premise of the book and the movie is basically that the world went into a civil war. And so the World Economic Forum says that all this misinformation will lead us into political instability and potentially civil war. And the reason why is because you have two different groups of people. One group of people that listen to the lies and narrative being fed to them. And another group of people that talk freely and they discover the truth. And now those two people can't mix because they believe they live in two different alternative realities. And I think you know what I'm talking about. We already have that today, right? And so what happened is then it led to the Civil War and uh, it was this really bad thing and lots of people got, you know, died, whatever. And so what they had to do is they had to get rid of all the information in the world, burn every single book, take over the internet, shut it all down. And then the state had to be the only source of information and truth. That way they could prevent another Civil War from ever happening. That way, if there's only one narrative and everybody believed that one narrative, then there would never be any fighting again. And so uh, Fahrenheit 451, they had these like firemen, they called them. And the firemen would go around burning any books. And you had this whole section of society that was trying to preserve this knowledge, preserve this information, preserve history. And they were hoarding these books. And then what they would even do is memorize the books. So even if the books got uh, taken away or burned by the firemen, they could they could recreate those books. And so and it was an interesting book uh, and, and, and a great movie. Highly recommend it. Uh, but basically it, basically lays this exact thing out. They're saying that the single biggest source of societal uh, disruption is misinformation or the fact that there are two alternative realities. One, which I consider to be the truth, and two, their false narrative. Now, how am I able to sit on my high horse here and tell you that I consider one to be truth and their false narrative? Well, the reason why is because the truth is always found out through free and open and honest and intellectual discussion. A lot of times I've seen stuff on Twitter where somebody posts something. I'm like, oh man, that is so good. I never thought of that. And then I start to read the comments and I'm like, ooh, oh, I didn't think about that. And oh, I didn't think about that. And ooh, that's a good point. Actually, no, this guy is wrong, right? But it was only because of that open and honest discussion that I found the truth. If somebody says something mean or hateful or wrong, they'll be called out instantly. That's the way the internet works. If I say something super bigoted or mean or racist, people will call me out. And only through that open and fair and honest discussion will we find out who the liars and the frauds and the bigots and the racists are. Only through open, honest discussion will we find the truth. Only lies need to censor the truth because lies can't exist on their own. If their ideas were good ideas, their ideas would win in the open court of honest discussion, transparency. The truth will always find out if we're allowed to speak. Uh, the quote, I, I don't know who said this quote, but you don't prove a man wrong by ripping out his tongue. You only prove that you have something to hide. And so this is what they're trying to do with, with Twitter. They want to sanction it. They want to put it out of business. So we don't have a place to talk online. Anyway, that's what I got. You're listening to the Mark Moss Show talking about the decentralized revolution. We're looking at the volatility. Things are changing fast. That was some of the biggest news headlines of the week. That's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.